Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Today on The Real Guy Podcast, we have John Monahan. John works with a company here in Fort Lauderdale called Clean Waterways that promotes and designs protein skimmer technology. Protein skimmers have proven to be a great way to clean up the waterways. After graduating from USF, John took his marine biology degree and put it to work. And in my opinion, these are the people that are going to save our waterways in the long run. I hope you enjoy this week with John Monahan, only on The Real Guy Podcast. Clear the airways. The Lunker Dog is on the air. Are you ready? This is the Real Guy Podcast. Okay, today in the Lunker Dog Studios, we have John Monahan, and it's great to see him in here because over the course of the years here, we have these sewage spills or pipe breaks or any type of disaster that happens on the water nowadays. I'll show up, I'll have my phone out, and then one guy that I can count on showing up is John. John, thanks for coming in to the Lunker Dog Studios. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so, John, you grew up here in Fort Lauderdale. Been here your whole life? Yeah. Um, I was born and raised here. Um, I went to school here locally. Uh, I also went to St. Thomas for high school. St. Thomas Aquinas. Yeah. The yep. one and only. The alumni. Um, I actually sailed for them um, throughout high school. Um, and we competed uh, across the U.S., actually at different uh, regattas and stuff like that. Um, I think we set a school record for the longest distance traveled for an event. Really? Yeah, we sailed in uh, Anacortes, Washington. Washington State? Yeah. That's a long freaking way. Very long. <laughs> it's funny, I, uh, I, I uh, went over a guy's house yesterday who's from Washington, but he's Washington, he's D.C. Oh, okay. And he friggin' was part of that whole Chesapeake cleanup. Yeah, the Chesapeake, they've, ha they've had a good restoration, I think, going on, right? They're doing uh, a lot of oyster stuff. Well, they, um, they, they had a river up there that, that uh, forked off of the Chesapeake that was so polluted. Like, if you walked up to it, your eyes would start to burn and that type of shit. Nothing could live. Everything was dead. And um, anyway, I went over there yesterday um, just to meet him, just to talk to him. And uh, I wanted to introduce you to him. Because he lives on that canal behind Lauderdale High School. That's uh, Middle River North Fork? What is that? Yeah, yeah, something like that. There's Well, I don't know which one is, north or south. But anyway, that's right behind Lauderdale High School. And the funny thing about that is one side of the river is for Lauderdale. And the other side is... Is that Oakland Park? What is that? Will Manners. Will Manners, yeah. Which is a little easier to deal with than Fort Lauderdale. But anyway, I didn't mean to I didn't mean to stop your story there. The so the longest distance ever traveled by a sailing team? No, uh we traveled a further distance than the football team. Than any of the teams. Yeah. 
that's pretty cool yeah and we did it uh back then the the sailing team didn't get a lot of funding from the school mm -hmm. so we had to uh, fundraise our own way so that was fun that's cool a heck of an achievement and um like if you're gonna do a, a extracurricular like sailing and one of the most commonly asked questions when i go out with my clients here in fort lauderdale and they see all the kids on the you know on the little sailing trams from the yacht clubs and stuff is they don't quite get that you know that type of sailing as a sport like some dude from mississippi or something and he's trying to take it all in and i tell him i says yeah there's there's people here in fort lauderdale that are you know end up being some of the best in the world in these competitions and stuff so you were part of that huh yeah um i actually coached sailing there for almost 10 years i think um throughout pretty much all of my high school and then college i coached there uh, during the summers, I coach the the beginner opties, so the the kids are getting just into it. Mm -hmm. And I've probably coached a couple hundred kids like how to sail. That's excellent, which is a pretty cool thing to do. I bet, I bet the uh, some of the kids that you you know were involved with were somewhat afraid to get into a boat, and then they end up being one you know really into it and can't wait and competing, and it's got to make you feel good when you see that. Yeah, like some of the kids that I coached, uh, like initially had a sale, are out winning like world championships now. That's so cool. <laughs> That's so cool. One of my one kid that I I grew up with here, uh, you probably know him, Ronnie McTie. Yeah, his kids. So his son Jensen is one of my closest friends. Is that right? Yeah. No, I just know that he's a heck of a sailor, and he's got great hair. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's he, the kid with the hair that goes all um, It's always funny because people who don't know him will see him sailing on a regatta, and he'll be winning, and they're like, who is this man with this flowing mane that just shows up and does so well? <laughs> it shows up and crushes everybody. Well, that'd be a local kid from Fort Lauderdale. The amount of talent that comes out of Fort Lauderdale in all sorts of sports is phenomenal. And people don't think about sailing. I wouldn't think about it either. We have several Olympians out of Fort Lauderdale right. for sailing. It's in, in, good thing. The so you tell me you spend a shit ton of time on the on the water then. Yeah, um, a little bit less recently, but uh, during the summer I was on the water pretty much every day. Um, so I would see uh, or not see various things. Like I know one thing is the that uh, trash pickup boat. Right. Ironically, I saw them yesterday. Did they, were they working? I don't see them pick up anything. Okay. But well, was it moving? <laughs> it was moving. And there's there's people in it. There were two people on it. Yeah. Okay. Um, Baby steps. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I've seen a lot of different things on the water. I've, I've, I've when you're, I mean, you know, when you're on the water every day, you can notice the slight variations in the water. Um, a couple weeks ago, when we had that strong westerly, right. Um, I, I texted a couple people. I don't remember if I texted you, um, but they, the water was noticeably cleaner. The westerly pushed out a bunch of our bad water, right. which is good for us, but, you know, the water goes somewhere, right? So it's going onto the reef and hurting our reef more. Right. Right. The downside to the westerlies and the big storms that clean everything up, it takes that pollution and puts it on the places that are trying to survive which is a little little tough but that was the that was kind of the direction i was getting in in the real guy network um we took we call it water time and the amount of water time that some people get may only be you know 30 minutes a week some guys get an hour a day and i mean they could water time is just as simple as going down the boat ramp sitting in your car and having lunch but you're staring at the canal system 
or driving down the beach and paying attention to what the seas are doing, what the birds are doing, and that, that type of thing. But people like you that were into sailing, I mean, the extensive amount of water time, you can see things completely different. It's almost like knowing another language that other people don't know. Yeah, so um, it like I started sailing at a really young age. Um, I think I was like six when I started sailing. Mm -hmm. I did that same thing that I ended up coaching for all those years. Right. Um, and that like kind of cemented my passion for the water. Right. Um, and then in high school, I got myself a little Aquasport 17. Nice. Uh, and I, I didn't get into fishing yet. I did a ton of diving. Right. Uh, I scuba dove almost once a week out of that little thing in the Atlantic, which was interesting at times. <laughs> um, and then in college, well, one of my friends who's also local here approached me and they were trying to sell their boat. And they've got a Bertram 20 Sportsman. Oh, nice. And one of my so, dad's favorites. Yeah. So I picked up that um, and I bought it half-half with uh, one of my other closest friends. Um, and then we were like, well, I guess we got to start fishing. So as we were fixing the boat up, uh, I graduated from college. Where'd you go? I went to USF St. Pete over oh. uh, in St. Pete. Yeah. My, my goddaughter is there now. Oh, really? Yeah. She's a sophomore. Okay. Yeah. I did the... Um, I started out as like undecided and then I went into environmental science and policy. Gotcha. And then I was like, well, I don't really necessarily want to be stuck in science and policy. So then I went to a general bio degree with a concentration in marine biology. Okay. Um, so I've got a little bit of science and policy under my belt. I've got a little bit of, or I guess a lot of biology under my belt. And then that little specialization in marine bio. Gotcha. Well, so you would be considered some sort of expert in the marine I wouldn't say I'm an field. expert. There's a lot I don't know. Right. But the things I do know, I'm fairly confident in myself on. Trust me. In the scope of things, yeah. of what people know about water and how they can interpret what they see when they're looking at the water, John Monahan is an expert. And if no one else has certified you, we just certified you as an expert. Trust me when I tell you. Real guy certified? Well, yeah. Real guy certified, exactly. And that goes a long way because the last, uh, one of the last podcasts I uploaded was about Nancy Gassman. She is not certified. She may have the credentials. She may be yeah. some sort of doctor or anything like that. But when she speaks to people and the way her agenda has been here in Fort Lauderdale, she's not a certified expert in my opinion. She is part of the problem when it comes to anybody like yourself or like myself or anybody else that wants to be progressive about the water, she stands in the way. And if she was an expert in the field, she'd know she's not supposed to stand in the way. Unlike you, who tries to be part of the solution to the water problems. Yeah. At the end of the day, I just want to see the water be better. Right. I want, like in the worst case scenario, what we're doing makes things cleaner. Right. Right. Now, from college... How did you get to where you are now, where I'm bumping into you at these sewage breaks and so pipe the, breaks and any type of contamination in the water that we're trying to document? The big, the big spill, the force main that broke, that happened when I was still in school. Um, and I, I commented on your post, like, there's no way they're just pumping sewage into the canal. Like, that violates so many, you know, federal laws and stuff like that. 
It's like, there's no way we're doing that here in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Right. And, you know, it, I was wrong. And they were, in fact, doing that. And then so I did kind of like a deep dive into um, that, like, that world of like... Like what's going on? Yeah, water quality <laughs> issues. Um, and it's not just a problem here. This is a problem across the United States with nutrient pollution. Um, it hap- it's up in the Great Lakes. It's up in the Chesapeake. It's, it's, ev- it's everywhere. Right. So, I mean, hell, the uh, Mississippi River is, has one of the biggest dead zones because of all of the runoff from agriculture in the center of the United States. All of that fertilizer runoff mm-hmm. goes into the Mississippi comes down and there's a huge dead spot just nothing lives at the foot of or the mouth of the mississippi right right well you know you weren't um you weren't alone when you were in disbelief that that was happening when i was uh when i was posting the content um nobody knew what you know what was really going on so they're looking at it with their eyes because we have it up on uh, you know youtube every other social media feed in the world and that was their natural reaction. Like, there's no way they're doing that. People were calling me an idiot. Like, you don't know what you're looking at. That's just drain runoff, blah, 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 on and on and on. And I get it because how the heck are you supposed to, like, look at that and be like, is that really happening? But it was. Yeah, and that's, that's the worst part about it is, you know, you can't, like, people can't fathom that you know, something like that would happen here, especially with, you know, the tax bracket that of the neighborhood that that happened in. Right. Um, but it, it came down to uh, just ignoring our infrastructure at the end of the day. Right. For the various political reasons that that happened. And can you believe that one of the key words, whether it's your local, national, or international news, is... Well, of course, they always talk about the environment, but they talk about infrastructure and how much money is being allotted to infrastructure, infrastructure, infrastructure. In the meantime, the whole state of Florida's sewage system infrastructure is failing miserably. Does that drive you crazy when you hear like it drives me crazy? And part of the reason I think it's a problem for the state of Florida is the state of Florida is at least, you know, South Florida is relatively new in terms of infrastructure, right? Uh, Fort Lauderdale, we were like, what, 110 years old as a city now or something like that? Yeah. Give or take. And so that means all these pipes were originally put in, you know, 80 years ago. Right. So they've reached the end of their serviceable life, but no service was done to them. Right. And no, you know, preventative maintenance or replacement was done of them. So the city... Is too. I think they're just kind of too young to like have a system down. Mm-hmm. That might be part of it. Um, and when you think of infrastructure, right? No one thinks about you know the 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 potable water pipes, the uh, sanitary sewer pipes, um, or like any other buried you know infrastructure that they they maybe be. They they normally think of like the the bridges, right. you know the the roads. You know you hit a pothole and it messes up your alignment. You're going to think of that. You don't think of the stuff you don't see. Correct. Well, our infrastructure and the city's response to the infrastructure since the spill, I mean, unless somebody knows something that I don't know about, the giant main pipe that finally broke and blasted all that pollution, all that sewage into the water, I forget how many 
how many was it? Five hundred thousand gallons. Five. I thought it was in the millions. That's what I thought too. I can't remember the whole. But I thought it was like two hundred and seventy-five million gallons or something like that. Yeah, I think you're right. And also, you can't, you know, estimate that because who knows how long it was leaking for it before. Well, that was that. That was what I was getting at. So the city, the biggest pipe in the whole system fails. Yeah, the the force main that led to the septic treatment plant failed. So that they waited till that thing to fail, and then they go in. And they put in, I think it's about 75% complete, a new main sewer line that goes across town, at least on the east side of town. But that's it. Everything that goes to that main line is still the old shit that was before. Yeah. So you have the way our sewers uh, pretty much around the country work is you have a gravity system Mm -hmm. where so like you flush a toilet. It follows gravity and goes into the, the manholes in the center of the street, and those all consolidate into a pump house. And the pump house pumps it into the force mains, which go through uh, various lift stations and then eventually make it to their septic treatment plant. Mm-hmm. And then that water either go once it's treated, hopefully, either goes offshore to the bubbler, which, as a fisherman, you know. Um, when he means offshore to bubbler, it means there's a pipe that goes right out to the reef where they pump what they call treated sewage into the ocean, which has killed pretty much all the reef from Key West to Jacksonville. Anyway, go on. Yeah, uh, our reef track here in South Florida, I think, has seen 97% coral loss, something like that. Um, And that's all due to nutrient pollution. Um, There's a couple other things that are affecting the corals out there, but... Nutrient pollution is one of the big ones because right. um, then al- algae grows over it. But the, where were we going? You're just talking about the infrastructure and how it works. Yeah. Like, because I didn't, you know, I don't know about all the valves and all the stuff that like I can't see. I know that the pump houses are there because they're visible, vi- yeah. visible. But um, like when we were down that night when the, the sewage was coming up on the street at Hammer at Hammersheet. And me and my kid went down there to document it, and you were there. And this shit was basically, and I'm literally shit, was basically bubbling out of these little pipes onto the street and then just trickling into the Hammersheet Canal that yeah. has been abused so bad. And you were explaining to me then probably what happened, and I was trying to follow yeah. along and that kind of thing. And you knew when I did, and all I knew is the shit was going into the water. Yeah. So that was a probably a backup um, of just the sanitary sewer where, or the gravity sanitary sewer, which is where some clog of some sort just happens to plug up the outflow of that manhole. Like there was, uh, I think last week or two weeks ago, there was a similar plug up in St. Petersburg, mm-hmm. right on the beach, where a worker left a shovel in a manhole, and it caused like a couple hundred gallons of sewage to spill out right onto uh, like St. Pete Beach area where uh, John's Pass is. Oh, nice. Yeah, so. <laughs> a little visible there. Yeah. Um, the uh, the Hemershee Canal has had a lot of problems. That force main was leaking for years. Um, and then obviously the force main failed in that canal also. Right. Um, I think that same pipe also, that was the one that failed in Rio Vista. And then it all, there was a force main over by George English Park that was leaking for years and then failed catastrophically. I think it's failed like three times now, right? Oh, right. And when John's talking about failure, we're not talking about some little, you know, six inch pipe. 
No, these are like tw at least 12 inch pipes. Like the the big one that failed in Rio Vista was a was it a 36 or was it a 45? It was big. I know the new one they put in is a 36. I think the, the, the it was originally bigger than that. I could okay. be wrong. I could, yeah, I'm not positive either. But I'm just what I want the audience to understand is, you know, this isn't like a leaky sprinkler system. I mean, when these things fail, it's catastrophic. Right. Hundreds of thousands of gallons of raw sewage dumped into small canals, small estuaries, rivers, and places that people swim, boat, and recreate. Yeah. Which kills me when I see the kids, the sailing kids. Oh, when that ha when that, that summer, like right before that, when that happened, uh, I was like, kids, please wash your hands. Don't touch your eyes. Like, don't swim in the water. And let me explain this a little bit further because the kids at the sailing team, they come out of the Yacht Club, which is right in, by the mouth of the New River here. In the city county and the state knows how toxic the water was at the time and it's flowing out of the river and they have certain parts of the intercoastal and the river closed off Th those warnings are such a pet peeve to me like oh. it's like it makes guys, me cringe moves. <laughs> right it makes me cringe and they don't they don't warn people and it's one thing when you're not you know the warning the water taxis or these big boats and the captains are 10 15 feet from the water at the helm but the kids, young kids, sailing around in fecal bacteria levels that are how big? Uh, hundreds to thousands of times what the normal like background level for bacteria should be. Right. So, so anyway, I wanted to get into that. I just want the audience to understand that when we're talking about these leaks, it's a big deal, and people are frigging recreating in it. Yeah, so like the kids, the, the boats are only like inches off the water, and when the, the water taxis rip by and throw their huge wake, uh, they do take water into the boat. So then there's also water in the boat with them. So like when sewage spills like this happen, kids kids can get rashes. Um, luckily, we didn't see any bad rashes during that spill. Right. Um, but when I was in at USF, uh, when I was on their sailing team, we had there's a uh, a, a waste treatment plant that was no longer used right by uh, our campus, uh, right by the airport. They have a little like private airport there. Right. Um, and we had a, a hurricane or a tropical, no, it wasn't a hurricane, it was a tropical system go by and we got a bunch of, uh, we got a bunch of um, surge from it. Like not a crazy amount, just enough to uh, inundate the gravity system. And so when that happens, the sea level rises up above those manhole covers, mm -hmm. and then seawater is allowed to flow into those. Right. So that overloads the treatment plant, and then they have to do something with all of that excess water. So their option was to partially treat it. I think they partially treated it. It may have been raw sewage. I forget. But basically, there's a bubbler right out in front of that airport, and since they couldn't treat, treat it at the new treatment plant, they were just dumping it into the bay there, at that little bubbler and that little bubbler was right where we sail so i got a rash from that a bunch of my friends got rashes from that so you know when you're sailing in sewage it's not fun yeah it's gross and the image that florida portrays is tourism come to our All right come pristine beaches come play in our water come fish come come oh come eat our fish from the uh the sewage water right <laughs> and that's and that's why it's so mind-boggling this isn't newark new jersey or something 
This is where people from all over the world want to come because there's water here and there's warm water and warm weather, hot chicks, alcohol, everything else that people freaking want to travel for. And the state is totally neglecting the thing that's the most valuable. Would you agree? Oh, totally. Yeah. And I don't know if, um, at least here in Broward and Dave, people that are traveling here are even coming for the water so much anymore. Like, it drives me crazy that the Miccosukee Casino is the most heavily advertised and biggest booming place in all of South Florida now. You mean the space laser? Whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and just in case all everybody that doesn't know that that place is crushing it, there's a laser that goes up into the air that the whole friggin' state can see. And it's like, yeah, we're crushing it out here at the Miccosukee Casino. You can see it from offshore. Oh, dude. <laughs> I mean, how? How can that be just so blatantly... Uh, I don't know. It's how gross. They, I don't know how the FAA approved that. It's just gross. <laughs> like, it's right in the flight path for Fort Lauderdale International. And that's what... Um, that's, a, that's like the main attraction. People want to come here, and that's the big thing. The beaches and stuff, I don't know, they're turning into, like, places for the rich and famous. I mean, who would have ever thought that we'd have Ritz-Carlton and Four Seasons and all the, like, the most fanciest places in the world on the beach that used to be a place for kids and families, basically, to have fun. Now it's just, like, for the rich and famous. Yeah, like in high school, uh, a lot of people would go to the beach place area, but I don't like that, so I'd go all the way further north to like Birch uh, State Park. I like that beach a lot more just because there are less people, but now there's more people there. So Let me tell you a little story about that beach down there by Birch and between Birch and uh, <clears throat> 18th Street. You see the plants? The the, the, sea, the sea oats? Yeah, the seagrass, and, the, and I think there's some, uh, some uh, what do you call it? sea grape trees and you know there's there's some plants in in high school we were part of that program and the reason we wanted to put plants on there is to save the sand because the beach was eroding so fast and the little bit that we did way back then is still there and if you look there's a sand mound there it's the only sand mound on the whole beach dune right and well dune and these guys up in north, they have these big dunes. We mean a dune. It's it's five feet high. But it's still a dune. It's still a dune. It was something that kids did in the 80s to help the beach. And it's funny because the beach has basically eroded. In the one little effort that was made, you can see with your own eyes. Yeah, that beach is noticeably wider than the beaches without dunes. Now, I grew up on that section of the beach. We were down there from let's just call it fifth grade till I graduated high school we surfed down there there was these catamaran boats down there we would hide our beers down there and go drinking down there at night we were taking our girlfriends down there at night when we lived at 18th street and I had friends that were on all those uh, all those canals I mean uh, streets yeah those little short ones yeah, right the, off A1A yeah and um, you know like I, I mean just regular kids lived there back then now it's a little different but anyway that part of the beach a little bit of effort that was taken way back when has sustained sustained and you would think that our city's leaders would maybe recognize that and encourage more projects like that 
But what do you see when you're dealing with your own local city? And explain to the audience um, what you're doing now and your interaction between the water and the city. Uh, from a like a beach nourishment? No, I just mean that like what you do every day is you is you do a lot of water sampling and you go around. And you're paying attention to you know where it's most polluted, what the test levels are, and all that. And um, we haven't explained to the audience yet how you got to where you are now doing the water testing for clean waterways. That's all I meant. Okay, so after I graduated from school, I moved back to Fort Lauderdale from St. Pete. Um, while I was actually in school, John Lose uh, messaged me on Facebook because I... Uh, you know the uh, Fort Lauderdale Sandbar Club and the Fort Lauderdale River Rats page, sure. Demolers pages. Yeah, uh, I always was like kind of like commenting sciencey stuff uh, whenever something would happen. Like someone would be like, "What's this thing that's happening here?" And I'd be like, "Oh, that looks like this." And like I kind of like give them a little explanation. You had, you had enough knowledge to answer some questions. Yeah, and like provide a link if they wanted to look more into it. And I still do do that. Um, and so he reached out to me and he's like, "We're starting this company. We're using." Um, protein skimmers to clean the water uh would you like to would you be interested in working with us and i said i'm still in school let me graduate when i come back i'm in um so i moved back uh i started doing that part-time i also uh started mating with ron's uh i guess stepbrother lige mm -hmm. um on there they got a private or they didn't have the sports fish yet but they then bought a sports fish and I was the mate with uh, Lige and the owner for that. Uh, learned how to produce offshore. And then I also do professional sailboat rigging. Okay. So I work now just the sailboat rigging and the clean waterways stuff. Um, and I basically what I do is I don't take a sample unless I see, I like, I see online something going crazy. I'm pretty active on Facebook. I, I have my uh, notifications on for whenever you go live. So whenever, that's why I always appear when you go live. Um, this upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. And people will like be common or like there's also that page. Um, I guess it's the Fort Lauderdale water crisis or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes people will post river related stuff in there and I'll go and I'll take a sample. I'll look around. I'll, I'll try to figure out what's happening. You're like the water investigation team. We actually the city used to have one of those, but I don't think they 
do anymore. If they do, I don't know about it. And when all those fish were dying in the La Preserve the other day as the city was opening up their fire hydrants and filling that little pond, I wish there would have been somebody we could have called. Do you know about that story? Which pond? The one out here just past Citrus Isles. There's a little place. It's a closed, gated neighborhood called La Preserve. And in La Preserve, there was a couple little uh, uh, ponds there that were somehow connected to the river. And those ponds had accumulated uh, all sorts of fish, snook, tarpon, and it was just kind of nice for the people in the community, the little pond that they had there um, was filled with all these fish. And they would go and they'd feed them and it was just kind of part of the neighborhood. So the city was releasing the pressure out of the water system. They're doing one of their uh, ammonia burns probably. Well, they opened up the fire hydrants. The fire hydrants, of course, went into the drains. The drains went into that little pond. And the fish started to float up and started to suffer. Yeah. And it took like a day to kill them all. So people from the neighborhood were calling me like, who do I call? What do I do? And I'm like, there's nobody to fucking call. So what the city did there is if if anyone ever has had a pet fish for their uh, children... If you use tap water, there's chlorine or chloramine in the tap water. If you don't treat that water with a uh, something that will remove the chlorine, uh, it will kill the fish because chlorine is, you know, chlorine. It's not good for your health. And this is basic 101 stuff. Like you said, anybody that's ever had an aquarium gets it. Anybody that ever has a freaking swimming pool, you get it. You know, you can't expect fish to live in that. But the city, before Lauderdale, and not alone. No regard for wildlife, no regard for water quality, and as this catastrophe was happening, people were freaking out, and there was nobody to call. Yeah. Nobody. Nobody to answer their freaking phone call. And I did a, I did a recording this week with Jody Moore, who is the um, president of the Sportsmen's of Broward Club. He used to write for Florida Sportsmen, excellent fishermen, and so on and so forth. He was one of the people that lived in the neighborhood. And, I mean, this guy's a big, influential, influential dude in town. And he's trying to get the city to respond to this thing. No luck. Nothing. It's like calling the IRS to get a, you know. Anyway, government. Yeah, Sorry. well, I mean, over in the, the Riverbend neighborhood, um, they've been replacing all the storm drains in that neighborhood. Right. Um, and there's a little creek that runs right along the one of the roads there and against the... I guess it's the east side of uh, LMC mm-hmm. or Safe Harbor, whatever whatever it's called now. Um, and they clear cut the end of that canal. And for the past, like, I want to say two or three months at least, ever since this project has started, they've been, I don't know how the sediment rich water is getting in there, but sediment rich water has just been pouring out of it. Right. And if there's a... That's right on the bend. Yeah, right on the bend when the river goes uh, west. I was looking at it the other day, and I'm just shaking my head. I'm like, I don't... And that's been happening for several months now. And they... Originally, there were no sediment booms. Now there's three sediment booms at the mouth of that little creek. And then they've got some sediment booms in the actual canal itself, or the little creek itself. And then this past week, they put in... A little dam of like road rock but you know that's super sediment rich so it's not really solving that problem but it's been ongoing for you know months now and I mean they kind of tried to do something about it but right well so all right so you're, you're paying attention to this stuff and 
you're trying to develop relationships with the city, right? That's not directly my job. I do more just the science side. There's other people that work for Clean Waterways that do do that. Um, I'm just kind of, I like oversee the science. I oversee the Tarpon River Preservation Society, um, which is we have a group of high schoolers that will basically go once a week. And we're trying to get a, basically like a, a full, not, not background, a baseline, that's what I want. Uh, of what the water quality in the Tarpon River is. So they have four sites, um, and I have them taking samples at high tide, which should theoretically be the cleanest water. Should be the best shot for pass. Yeah, gives you the best shot for pass, but um, we don't see a lot of passing. All right. When we talk about water quality passing, what are the requirements? Okay, so, so right now we're testing uh, fecal indicator bacteria. And there are two, um, basically, like, limits that they're not supposed to exceed. There's the uh, DEP limit, which is a MPN of 35. And MPN means most probable number. So basically, in, like, 100 milliliters of water, that means there's probably 35 bacterial cells. Okay. And then there's the Department of Health standard, which is 70. Most of the samples that I get are at least 600. <laughs> so 10 times the amount of fecal bacteria levels are in most of the water that you're testing. Not 10%, 10 times. That would be a 1,000% higher than it's supposed to be. We've had samples that were not sewage spill related that exceeded 48,000 and that's the limit for our testing. The exact number is like 48,962 or something like that. All right. So let's, uh, let's try to break this down into layman's terms. So if a guy had his Yeti cup, 24-ounce Yeti cup, and you had the water in the cup, out of that 24 ounces, how much of it approximately would be sewage? At 48,000 or whatever the hell that number was. I don't know how it would break down of, like, how much of it would be sewage. So, like, to imagine, like, 100 <laughs> milliliters of water, it's almost the size of your fist. Okay, so almost the size of your fist. So that would be, like, a third of the Yeti cup. Yeah, the, oh, a, a small Yeti cup. That's but, so gross. So that's not, you know, direct sewage. That's the bacteria that's found in sewage. But still, that's so <laughs> gross. Yeah. That's a, that's, that's a lot. Yeah, Especially when you're, you know, your limit for, like, what the uh, the DEP limit is, is, like, in a, like, unhuman impacted ecosystem, mm -hmm. it should be below 35. Like, that's just normal, like, obviously animals poop in the water, right? There's going to be fecal bacteria in the water. But anything above that is considered, you know, it's been impacted. So when you, when it's, you know, up in the, you know, five-digit numbers, Unbelievable. there's, I mean, it's a highly urbanized estuarine environment. That's like the scientific word for what Fort Lauderdale is. But that's, that's kind of ridiculous. All right. Well, these are the, these are the things that I don't get. All right. So we have um, these requirements. DEP, EPA, there's probably some other organizations that have some other standards. 
And when the city of Fort Lauderdale, Broward County, any place in the state of Florida, when they, well, I don't know what you call it, a violation, when they violate these numbers, how is it that the county, the state, and the federal government okay with it, or numb to it, or ignore it, whatever you want to call it? Honestly, I don't know. This the the state is supposed to be enforcing this, and when that sewage, the big force main spill did happen, um, the city of Fort Lauderdale did get like what a seven million dollar fine. No, um, so they were. <laughs> the way I understood it, it is, they got fined, but it, then they had the opportunity a, to pay the fine by fixing the problem. It was a two million dollar fine. Is that what it was? And they negotiated three million if they would spend the three million on resurrecting the waterways. So the city said, no, we'd rather spend $3 million on resurrecting the waterways. And what they did was they got a barge and they dredged 300 feet of water. They hired a few companies to do some analysis and some tests, and $3 million was gone. And it kind of bothers me because I I don't know. I don't know who's who, who I think should be in control of the money. The city that neglects it or the state that doesn't enforce it? I don't know. But what I do know is there's $3 million spent and absolutely nothing was done. My favorite was the um, the party celebrating the restoration of Tarpon River. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, we're going to get into the whole PR campaign. We're going to get into that civic association meeting now that the audience knows where you're coming from, understands that you're an environmental expert, certified. <laughs> but... um. Yeah, going in. Let's go into that part. So, John and I are at a um, civic association civic association meeting the other night with. Um, hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Our assistant city... Is she like the environmental science... Assistant or something like that? Yeah, she's, I don't know, some title. And this Nancy Gassman lady shows up. And we've seen Nancy over the years um, because every time there's a problem, we go into this city, we get in front of the commissioners and the mayor, we give them solutions, ideas, and we ask them questions. And then they put Nancy up there to tell us we're all stupid and we don't know what we're doing and nothing really is going to happen. And... <laughs> It sounds crazy, but it's true. So, so we're we're at the civic association meeting, and Nancy Gassman comes out and tells us that the city's doing a great job um, at resurrecting the waterways because they've increased the number of street sweepers, and they have this John boat that two guys have dip nets in, and they're taking a lot of debris out of the water. And except for that, the city did absolutely nothing except take water quality off the priority list. John, myself, Zach Routman, his dad, I'd say there was about 20 other, Walter Matthews. I mean, the people that actually are paying attention to care, the team, the soldiers, they were there and they were asking Nancy real questions. And she basically treated us all like we were a bunch of morons. Would you like to kind of explain how that went? 
that was my first interaction with her. Uh, so I kind of went into it like trying to be positive. I didn't ask any super technical questions because I just wanted to see what she was going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, she said the first of all, I really like street sweepers. So that's a good thing to do. That does help. But our problem isn't from our streets right now. Our main problem is from our sewers. Right. right? So good for doing the street sweeping. But you're not fixing the problem. Right. Right. And she, she, I mean, when she told us that, she was like, okay, these people will buy this because what? We're dumb? We're not paying attention? I mean, I don't understand what the heck that was all about. And then the. Boat. Oh, and then she went on to blame um, uh, dog pee. Yeah, pet feces. She also wanted us to know that. Um, river water is tannic and it should be, um, you know, dark colored. I mean, the stuff she was telling everybody I mean, was... I, I know, you know, the water's supposed to be tannic, but you go out to the Everglades, so that water's tannic, but it's not the same color that this water right, is. Right, right. And, you know, and she's deflecting and not taking responsibility, talking about pet feces, and then assuming that we all think that the sewage system is fixed and it's not leaking anymore. And just the deception in... And um, lack of, how do I say it? Lack of uh, interaction with the people that had great ideas. Situational awareness. Right. You know, like nobody counts. Nobody has a good idea. Anything you guys want to do is not good. Holier than thou. Right. And I mean, these are the people that are running. Well, she's she's not an elected official. No, but they use her. The elected officials use her as a pawn. If the elected officials wanted to do these things that we want to do, whether it be skimmers or whether it be um, mangroves or huge forces of boats to go out and actually clean stuff up, if they wanted to do that, they would have Nancy telling us that that's what they were going to do. But since they don't care and since they don't want, they use Nancy as a person like, well, Nancy says no, it's not a good idea. And it's a game they play. And they know that they're going to win because they're fighting against people like you and me that have everyday jobs and can't spend our whole life fighting. So they hope that the obstacle, being Nancy, will deter people like you and me from fighting the fight. And there's also no repercussions to not fixing it. Right. Because there's no... Right, you don't get fired. You don't get fired, but the, you know the city won't get fined because there's there's no enforcement. The state's not enforcing these violations. Right. We are not getting any cooperation from the rest of the governmental I- agencies, state, county, local, federal, federal. We're being ignored down here, and our water is getting to a point where we can't let our kids swim in it. I don't swim in the canals anymore. I won't let my kids swim in the canal anymore. I used to, in high school. I ate blue crab out of the, the canals, and I'm I'm disgusted by that now. <laughs> right, right, dude. There's still people freaking I know crabbing commercially in the New River. Uh, yeah, they they have traps in the uh, the Tarpon or not the Tarpon River, the um, the New River. Dania Cutoff too, or New not River? the Cutoff, but the. I guess that is the cutoff, not the crossover. Right. But I'm just saying, I mean, these, and how many people are getting infections and getting sick, getting bacteria issues that don't know where they got it from? Like, I know a lot, like, you know, because I got a 16-year-old, we're with the parents around a lot of kids, and we've been around a lot of kids for the last 10 years. And 
lots of these kids get ear infections and nose infections and stuff after they've been in the canal system, either water skiing, hanging out at the sandbar, boating all day, going to Whiskey Creek. I mean, things that, you know, people spend millions of dollars to do and to be here, and their kids are getting infections, and they're not sure why. Yeah, with one of the, I guess it was a spill last year, um, I think four sailors got ear and sinus infections from and one got like an eye infection when the spill happened and those are the kids that you know they're sailing and they're obviously wakeboarding and doing all that stuff and Susie Bailey John Tedder had really bad MRSA infections and they were educated enough to know where they got it from how many people do you think getting infections especially tourists that come here for Oh, they go home and it just appears and they're like, what is this from? Yeah, how did I get that? Or why am I feeling this way or whatever? Because it's it's, got to be happening. And there's no record of it. People don't know. And it's basically a lot of deception by city, state, and local government. (laughs) I mean, mean, you know, one of the first steps to recovery is admitting you have a problem. Right. And we're, we're still not at that stage. Right. Like... In a perfect world, we replace the entirety of our sewer system, not just the force main, everything. Because the, all the, I mean, the, the, I don't know what your pipes are in, in this house, but my house was built in the 40s. Mm-hmm. We have cast iron sewer lines right. leaving the house. Right. Um, and so those all have holes in them. And if you live on the water and you're near, we're 16 feet above sea level where I am. But if you're, you know, on one of the aisles and you're at sea level, like, there's days during the year where you're walking through seawater to get to your front door. Okay. When those pipes go into water and there are holes in them, there's saltwater intrusion into the gravity sewer line. And then that puts a burden on our water treatment plant right. because there's excess water that's not supposed to be in there. Right. So when the, the, because it's a gravity system, when it floods and when the sea, sea level gets higher than the pipes... That gravity system doesn't work anymore. Yeah. And another problem that happens is when you have, you know, metallic pipes in a, such a salty environment, they rust, they oxidize, they break down. So there there was uh, a pipe over on Cordova that failed that was, I think, like an eight-year-old pipe. Right. And the bottom had completely corroded through from, you know, tidal cycle comes up, salt water on it, tidal cycle goes back down, dries out a little bit, and just that repeated pattern twice a day for eight years was enough to get that more modern pipe to fail. Right. And before the before the main pipes broke and it became public and we broke the record for this biggest sewage spill ever and all that, there was um, a few fishermen, a few people that, you know, were into paddling and stuff. They were trying to warn everybody that, hey, in the last four or five years, our canal system went from being, let's just call it swimmable, to being so gross and everything's dying. And we were pointing our fingers, at, but they were small leaks back then. Yeah. There, you could, the Hemmershie Canal back then, I remember, always smelled kind of weird. Before they built that big apartment building in it, it used to collect all that trash also. Right. Um, one day, spontaneously, one of my friends and I canoed back down in there, and we probably pulled out 40 pounds of trash. Um, and then the there was one event. I don't know if anything particular happened, but I started to notice um, algae in the water. Not like, you know, that big brown matte algae that floats up off the bottom. That's something different. There were little green 
like cells of algae floating in the water. I'm like, this is weird. I've never seen this before. Look like snow, but yeah, green in the yeah. water, right? And so I was like, I have never seen this before. So I scooped up a sample jar and I just kind of like looked at it. And I'm like, so I, I decided to like just randomly like tweet the city of Fort Lauderdale about it. I'm like, hey, what's this? I've never seen this before. What's going on? And they chucked it up to, um, I guess I think he said I, I, it was the city commissioner at the time. I forget who it was. And he said it was from releasing water out west. But, you know, when you release water from out west, normally you see the vegetation come east with it. Like you get the fresh water um, plants and stuff that just happen to flow out. There was I didn't see any of that. So, like, normally when there's a lot of algae in the water, it's because there's a lot of nutrients. And a lot of nutrients, the normal source of nutrients is either sewage or urban runoff. Right. So... That's normally an indicator of like, hey, something's wrong here. And so like, I got in this Twitter argument with this city official, and then I was quoted in the Sun Sentinel for it. <laughs> quoted? What do you mean quoted? They were like, I, I forget exactly. It was almost... Was it, it negative, was probably, foo-fooing you, or was it positive saying, hey, this kid's got a point? He, this kid's got a point. Really? Yeah. Nice. Um, that was probably at least eight years ago now. Right. No, the city of Fort Lauderdale knows about it. The county knows about it. The state knows about it. And I'm sure the feds know about it. Nobody gives a shit. On a positive note, since you've gotten out of college, since you've went to work with a company that uh, focuses on water, we've created a headcount here in South Florida that we've never had before. And I can't be positive about what the cities are doing what the municipalities are doing but i can be positive about what guys like you are doing and spreading the awareness from a person-to-person way of doing it and we're actually growing when we first started complaining about the water there was nobody that understood even what you were talking about yeah now we're getting like laymen into it who don't you know aren't on the water every day um, one of the things that I think is hard now is we've had so many people in the past, you know, four years move here who don't know what we had. Right. Obviously, compared to people like yourself and like Steve Kantner and those guys, I never saw like the best of the river. I've always known the river as brown. You can't see the bottom. Um, but I've seen a change in my lifetime. Right. And I'm only 25 now. Right. So I've I like I mean I watched the mullet run end right, um, and uh, the I guess the scientific term for what the new river currently is is a uh, post collapse algal dominated ecosystem. Post collapse, say that again. Post collapse algal dominated ecosystem. So now you guys know what to talk about at your dinner table. <laughs> Dude, that's really good. okay. Well, so like um, you can compare it to Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay, and I think the. I guess the 60s or 70s, like the late 60s, early 70s, was declared dead. So it was a post-collapse, algal-dominated ecosystem. So all the counties up there, I took a class on this. This is good. One of the coolest classes I took. I sent you the textbook. <laughs> I did. <laughs> you did. Dude, that was a lot of reading. Yeah. I took, I, I took a college class on that. <laughs> um, but so basically what they did is all of the counties around Tampa Bay came together. They're like, all right, we got to fix this. This is unacceptable because the fisheries in the bay were down. Uh, there were algal mats everywhere, and it smelled bad. And obviously, it doesn't look good for tourism either. 
So they turned it around. They basically equated the health of the bay to um, seagrass anchorage or acreage, which then comes down to a water quality thing, right? So if you clean up the water quality, the seagrass will grow, the bay will come back. They actually pulled that off and they were able to reach the, they found a proxy for like the pre-1950s level of seagrass coverage. Mm -hmm. And they were able to reach that goal. And then the, the Bay Health has been good. Uh, I think in 2018, it's at like a maximum. It's been down the past couple of years because they had like a, that Piney Point spill and a couple other things. Those red tides have been They're, infiltrated a few times. The West Coast is having very bad red tide right now. And that's from the storm. And it's just going to get worse as it gets hotter. It's not, it's not from the storm. We've been having these storms friggin' forever. And... The red tide has never been this bad. It is crazy. It's oh, yeah. it's the storm may have triggered it, but it's be all the stuff. It that started it earlier, right? Where all the stuff that we're talking about is, um, you know, the reason there's these huge red tides now. Red tides, I get it. Natural phenomena, you know, bacterial level rises to a point where fish can't live in it, and it can be natural. But what we're seeing over there now is like a consistent, ongoing red tide that's happening even in the winter. I got guide friends over in the Sarasota, Sarasota area that are getting decimated. Sarasota is horrible right now. Sarasota, uh, Fort Myers, and even some of um, like St. Pete Beach areas are, already has red tide this early in the season. It's crazy. And, I mean, these, these guides, they reach out to me, and I feel for them. I mean, dude, their livelihood is being taken away by these red tides. Insane, but true. Anyway, John, so you were you were talking about um, the research paper that you sent me um, via email, and I wanted to make the point of how we're gaining headcount, how we're getting more people aware and involved in what's going on here. Now, so what happened? You saw me complaining about the water via social media. Yeah, I saw. I think I saw the post of the the pipe. Or it wasn't a pipe. They had a pump set up in one of someone's front yard, and it was you in your maritime skiff just filming the pipe, just throwing uh, pumping the sewage water in. at that point into the Tarpon River. And that was, I guess, the first thing that got me going. So you saw that, and you reached out to me and told me about Tampa, right? And then you sent me that research paper? I had started listening to your podcast after that whole first break and then listening to like what you said and then I sent you that textbook so you, you could use it as a resource um, and then I just kind of like I want when it comes to things like this education and like public outcry is the biggest thing that will get the ball rolling um, because if there's no outcry there's no reason for the city to change their position on it right and if you're not educated enough to see what's going on or understand what's going on yeah then, all right i got you so if you see something weird going on maybe mention it to someone <laughs> like i'm i'm pretty active like i said in the groups uh locally so i whenever i see something weird going on i go and check it out for myself um but tell like if someone that you're good friends with now just moves here Tell them what it used to be, right? And tell them what it could be. Right. So the only way to get to back to what it could be is to start to fix the problem. Admit you have a problem, start to fix the problem. With these post-collapse systems, all they need is a little break and a little nudge in the right direction. 
and mother nature is pretty resilient she will come back if you give her the chance right but right now we've just been punching her in the face left and right right and then and i i think that's a a big thing that people don't understand is how strong mother nature is a lot of people think we're at the point of no return and that is not true if you just give mother nature a little help and quit punching her in the face all the time with drain runoff sewage fertilizers i mean we uh friggin' water management. I mean, there's so many things that we're doing to destroy Mother Nature. If we just helped her just a little bit, she's so resilient, it would come back. And maybe it wouldn't be like it used to be. It, it will never be what it used to be, but it can be better. Our kids should be able to swim in it. We should be able to eat the fish out of it. The fish should be able to live in it. The oysters should be able to live in it. We need to be able to have a living system not a dead system. You got to get your 30-pound uh, snook. Correct. Certified lunkers, bait, everything that goes along with everything that we've always talked about. The thing that I'm most proud of in this whole fight for clean water is how the network has expanded. And it's expanded because people like you, people like me, and a lot more people now are putting forth the effort to do exactly what you're talking about. Expose people to the problem. Let them know what's going on and to come up with solutions like the protein skimmer. You know what I mean? Like mangroves. I am so partial to the whole mangrove thing because I know that one, once they plant the mangroves, we don't need somebody from the city to make sure that they grow. Mother Nature can do that and they can live in almost anything. Two, I just want to see the city take some sort of leadership i'm not expecting them to fix anything but come up with something and roll with it and then come up with something else and have a plan to get our waterways back to the way they used to be or at least like we said clean where we don't have to worry about infections and that type of thing where it doesn't smell where everything isn't dead the mullet come back the mullet will come back. Lots of things would come back. The crabs would come back. The oysters would come back. The barnacles would come back. That was critical mass. That was critical mass. When you were seeing the algae in the water, at that point, the algae was, was killing all the barnacles, all the oysters, anything that could live in there. Once that started happening, then all the sea balls and everything just turned to that black slime, which is algae. It took over the whole intercoastal system. Little parts and pieces, there's enough water flow where we might see barnacles still grow. But when these guys are cleaning the bottom of the boats now, they're not cleaning barnacles off the bottom of the boats. They're cleaning that black algae. That's the only thing that lives in there anymore. Yeah, last, uh, I, my boat's not bottom painted, but I've been keeping it in the water at a friend's house. And this past winter, I, I, I don't know if it's a water temperature thing because I've never had my boat in the water this long. But there wasn't a single barnacle on the hull of my boat. And the boat was in the water for at least a month. No, the barnacles should have grown even more this year because the water has been warmer than yeah. it's been in a long time. And the New River, one of the problems about keeping boats in the New River in the old days is that it would get taken over by barnacles. Well, remember, um, what was that boat? The Devil's Triangle? When they pulled that out, who knows how long that, first of all, how long that sat there. But when they pulled it out, that thing had a reef on the bottom of it. Right. And that reef grew in the river that is now dead. Yeah. Insane. 
John, anything that we didn't get into that you wanted to talk about before we wrap up? Sounds stereotypical, but when it comes to the waterways, if you see something, say something. Say something to you. Say something to me. Say something to anybody that you know of. Yeah. And don't expect the city to um, don't expect the city to carry on from any type of complaints that you have. Make it public. Make it so your neighbors know, and explain your point, because that's taken us a long way. And thanks to guys like John, the company he works with, Clean Waterways. Susie Bailey, Zach Routman, Will Demler. I mean, the list goes on and on. And um, I want to get everybody that's in the fight, I want to get them together as for a social event. I want to have a good time with them. And I want them to know that there's other people that are trying to help, that are, trying to, that are there for the cause. Because one of the hardest things about this whole fight for clean water, at least for me, is keeping your head in the game, staying motivated, and not getting discouraged and throwing your hands up and say, there's nothing I can do. Because there are things you can do. And John's doing one of them by making, having data and baselines to know how bad the situation really is. Anyway, thanks for coming in. Thanks for being on the Real Guy Podcast. And most of all, thanks for all the hard work. Appreciate it. From that dog. From that dog. <laughs> <laughs>